You're the Sith Lord. I know what's been troubling you. Listen to me. Don't continue to be a pawn of the Jedi Council. Ever since I've known you, you've been searching for a life greater than that of an ordinary Jedi. A life of significance, of conscience. Are you going to kill me? I would certainly like to. Jedi Council. Of course, you should. But you're not sure of their intentions, are you? I will quickly discover the truth of all this. You have great wisdom, Anakin. Know the power of the dark side. Power to save Batman. Welcome, everyone, from across the universe to the Wampa's Lair Podcast. Star Wars is for everyone, so pull up a chair, get comfortable, and join the conversation with your hosts, Carl LeClaire and Jason Hunt, here in the Wampa's Lair. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Wampa's Lair podcast. This is episode number 420, The Revenge of the Sith Novel with Matthew Stover. I'm, as always, one of your hosts, Jason Hunt, and with me, the Qui-Gon Jinn to my Yoda, because now I'm the student, we have Carl LeClaire. <laughs> great, great analogy right from this phenomenal novel. Um, yes. Jason, I'm so excited to be here with none other than Matthew Stover himself, the renowned author of Revenge of the Sith, Shatterpoint, Luke Skywalker, The Shadows of Mindor, New Jedi Order, Traitor, and I know countless other books, but uh, Mr. Stover, it is so wonderful to have you with us. Well, thank you very much. Thanks. I'm glad to be here. So we were just we were just speaking right before we hit the record that um, it's so exciting to see that Shatterpoint is getting this new re-release as well as the unabridged audio version for the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yes, I'm excited about that. As I was saying <laughs> earlier, um, the original uh, the original audio version left out the end of the book um, for. A variety of, I think, technical reasons, because um, some of the, uh, especially the the actual epilogue of that book, I think, was not actually completed when they went to the studio to record the audio version. But I'm not sure. Okay. Okay. That's um, interesting. I yeah. the scenes note. No. Yeah that that one that one was. Um, I was working furiously on that uh, the, to finish that up by the drop dead date when they were going to have to move publication. Okay. Now, when when they decide, you know, when they've decided now to do this re-release and reprint it and do the the audio, do they did they someone from Lucasfilm or Disney reach out to you or was it just no? Okay, <laughs> they just chose no, to do. I, it. <laughs> I, I don't I don't have any rights to that book at all. Okay, it's a work for hire thing. I mean, I get. I get a, a small royalty, but uh, but it's not anything that they need to consult me about at all. If they were to, if they were to do something wild like um, 
turn it into a movie or a TV show, yeah, it's work for hire. They, I got paid. Okay. Wow. Very cool. Um, so, uh, we've been, we've been talking up this episode for the entire month. Um, I, this is all in light of, uh, you were on, um, the podcast around the galaxy or across the galaxy, Mm -hmm. excuse me, just, uh, I think maybe a month or two ago. And, um, great, great uh, team over there. And just, it was so awesome to listen to you talk about star Wars. And I've listened to your interviews from back when revenge of the Sith was published back in 2005, but it was really neat to hear you kind of speaking about things, uh, today and kind of where you see it all. And I was just like, wow, I would love to have him on it. it I have read revenge of the Sith almost every year since the year it came out. It's just that book oh, that I awesome. always love to read. Um, you probably know the book better than I do. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's, you know, sadly so true of so many Star Wars fans. If George Lucas were to even talk to them, you know, so, so mm-hmm. many of us pour over that stuff day and night that even George would be like, what's a womp rat? <laughs> you know? <Yeah. laughs> um, but bef- just to get started, I I'm. They're I, not much bigger than two meters. Is that right? That, that's yeah, right. That is true. That is <laughs> yeah, very true. <laughs> Um, kind of my first question, just kind of a real general one. Um, what is kind of, and maybe this is probably different for each book you've written, but do you have like your own writing process? Like, is there a space you like to go to physically or mentally, um, that kind of gets you in that creative zone to, to write your stories? Well, I, um, I have an office in my house. I, I live in a, in a small town in central Illinois. And I've got, uh, I have an office that basically just is my workspace. And, uh, you know, I've got a, I've got a window, I've got a computer and a bunch of books and that is pretty much all I need. I used to listen to, uh, playlists on YouTube, but, uh, Hmm, these days there are too many commercials <laughs> and, uh, I have not, uh, I don't, uh, I don't have Spotify, so I'm just uh, – uh, and these days also, I seem to need a lot of quiet mm. when I'm working. It's uh, – I really, really kind of need nothing else going on in the room other than what's inside my head. Okay. Um, I, a question I just uh, had about – Revenge of the Sith in particular is, did you have a treatment of the script when you were giving this or I had the final shooting script. Okay. That's what I was working from. Um, there were changes made to the film, uh, as I was, uh, struggling to put it together into a coherent novel because, you know, cinematic logic is different from literary logic. Mm -hmm. And also, As I think I mentioned in in that uh, Across the Galaxy uh, podcast, I had never seen anything. I had not seen any footage. I didn't know what anything looked like mm-hmm. in the uh, or what was going to look like mm-hmm. in the film because I was I was working a year before it it was uh, finished, mm-hmm. and so that is that's part of the reason I uh, went to the sort of conscious strategy of focusing on the interiority mm. of the characters and kind of the the big context stuff that I already knew 
you know, it was my that was my third book for Star Wars. I was yeah. pretty well versed in the uh, in the lore mm-hmm. by the time I was working on that, and so uh, that's what I that's what I strongly relied upon instead of filling pages with dis- descriptions of ships and maneuvers and stuff like that. Yeah. I, I'll say that that's that's why this book stands out so much to me and not just as Star Wars literature, but as literature, um, it, it, which is why I've read this book so many times over the past nearly 20 years um, is the way you choose to write it. Because I, I often find when I read Star Wars books, when we have like a 10 page action description, I, I sometimes get a little bored and just start skimming. But when we're getting this really in-depth character story and character study, uh, it just draws me in so much because we get to you, you just take us in the heads of these characters in such a beautifully unique way um, well thank you yeah um, thank you i i my uh sort of internal justification for approaching the story that way was i what i was hoping to do was uh make a book uh write a book that would work not just as a novelization of the film, but like a companion piece. So, so people who read the book first might find uh, uh, more to like about the film when they see it. People who watch the film first are going to have those visual images when they read the book. So it, the, the idea was to have them kind of work together rather than just being a recounting of uh, the instance of the film. Yeah, well, I I think you pulled it off very well. Um, so well, in fact, that uh, fellow podcaster and friend of ours, Nathan Butler, has often referred to this novel as creating the Stover effect with Revenge of the Sith in terms that it is completely <laughs> enhanced the movie in and of itself. So that's something he's been saying for years. So. That was what I was going for. So uh, <laughs> God bless him for that. And let's hope it catches on. Well, yes. You know, and I think in, and I know, I know you've made this point so many times after, you know, talking about what, how you did revenge of the Sith about choosing to go that route of the interiority of the characters. Um, I, was that just did that just come to you that that idea to to go that route? I mean, um, I know you referenced uh, in in across the across the galaxy that you did meet with George Lucas a, a couple of yes. times. Is that correct? No, just just, just one time, but it okay. was for a long time, three or four hours, I think. Oh wow! Oh, wow. At least well, two or three. I don't remember exactly. And it's you know sixteen, seventeen years ago now. So sure, right? Um, but it was it was one long um, uh, session. Um, one long afternoon at Skywalker Ranch. And uh, we, um, basically what, the way they set it up was he, they gave me a chance to essentially interview him. So I, so I had a list of questions uh, about the story and about the, and, you know, and about some of the, the broader issues that he wanted to emphasize and uh, basically, that's that's what we did. Is I asked him questions, and and uh, uh, a couple of there were a couple of people in the room. Uh, my editor, uh, my New York editor uh, from Del Rey, Shelley Shapiro, was one of them, and I'm not I'm not sure who the other one was now. But they they had a tape recorder going, and they very kindly 
had it transcribed and provided me with a transcript to make it uh, make it easy for me to consult uh, Mr. Lucas's opinion on all these issues I brought up. Was there anything in that interview that uh, surprised you uh, that he answered? Uh, n- well, it depends on what you mean. Okay. Um, nothing. Nothing in particular about the story or the you know the the GFFA, mm-hmm. but I was surprised at his palpable love of this story that he has created. I mean, it was kind of a, it was kind of a thing back in the, uh, back in the nineties, early two thousands that, you know, the prequels were just Lucas cashing in Mm -hmm. on some, on work he had done earlier. And, you know, there, it was astonishing to me how much, um, like Jedi lore there was right in his, you know, right at the front of his head, you know, he wasn't consulting notes or anything like that. This is all stuff that just lives in his brain. And there was a lot of it that has never made it into any, um, any, uh, sort of, you know, um, produced source as far as I, as far as I can tell. Mm-hmm. Now I can't tell you what any of those things were. <laughs> sure. One, because um, it, 17 years ago, uh, but two, I did sign an NDA. Okay. Uh, right. And yeah. we, I, I have a confidentiality agreement. With sure. Me, so. We know how uh, enforced those can be in, in this, uh, this world. So <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm mostly out of reach of uh, them legally because right. I don't fight for Star Wars anymore. Um, and I'm virtually judgment proof, uh, by virtue of being poor. But, uh, um, it's something I feel like I have a moral obligation to honor the agreements that we entered into. Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now that, that palpable love that he kind of brought to the interview, I, I mean, I, I, I know you were a star Wars fan before you started writing star Wars. Oh yeah, I was I was a Star Wars fan from 1977. I was 15 years old when the when uh, uh, what is now Episode Four came out. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw it on its opening weekend in uh, in uh, at the Fisher Theater in Danville, Illinois, which is on which was on June sixth. 1977, something like that. Anyway, I, I, uh, I, there's a, a numeric code in Shatterpoint, um, which is, it's in one of the later chapters, but when, uh, Mace is communicating with the ship and just my own personal Easter egg, that, uh, numeric code translates into the date that I saw the, the original Star Wars. <laughs> that's so great. <laughs> yeah, I'm a little bit of a geek. No, that's <laughs> but Star George Wars is so peppered with Easter eggs, right? I mean, George obviously himself chose all these personal Easter eggs to put in right. from uh, 1138 to, you know, the, right. the yellow um, airspeeder and attack of the clones looking like the car in American graffiti. So. Right, right. Well, yeah. And this, that was entirely for my own amusement. 
That's so cool. Um, so I, a question I, I wanted to ask, and it's, it, it is something you, I know you kind of um, broached this uh, last time you were on uh, Across the Galaxy, and, and I apologize for asking you an, another similar question, but to me, the most captivating literary uh, element you brought to that story was the Dead Star Dragon. Um, can you talk about, you know, where, where that concept came from and, and how, how it kind of unfolded as being Anakin's actual inner foe, like this inner demon of that dead star dragon? Right. Well, it's, uh, as I, as I think I explained there, some of this, some of this is, is covered by that, uh, by that confidentiality clause, but, uh, the 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 fact is the truth is that i had that that was a late invention okay that was that was a desperate uh attempt to salvage what i thought was a, a central point of the novel which was the um which was anakin's internal struggle with his anger and his fear and uh, originally, it was um, it was a dragon that uh, that was kind of like eh, science fictional Star Wars thing, uh, a fire dragon, a sun dragon that fueled the furnace that was inside Anakin's chest. It was a it was a symbol of uh, anger his anger that that uh was overcoming him as he become as he becomes Darth Vader and um 3 days before the book was supposed to go to typesetting this is after uh Mr. Lucas had done his 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 copy edit his line edit he had cut out every reference to that he didn't like it and i got a call from from uh <clears throat> Uh, if I recall correctly, it was from Shelley and from Howard Rothman, who was the head of uh, of uh, uh, the legal division um, of Lucasfilm licensing, and was kind of he was kind of uh, Mr. Lucas's partner, if I recall correctly. Um, don't know exactly what their relationship was, but that was the impression that I that I got. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, he he called me up late one night and told me that they they were that. As he said, that stuff with the dragon, George didn't like it. Mm. And I'm like, what do you mean? He says, it all has to go. Every reference, he doesn't like it. And um, and this, as you might imagine, three days before typesetting, <laughs> I was I was like, this is gonna <laughs> this is gonna kind of screw up the entire psychological arc of the. Uh, of the book. And, uh, and Howard said, um, yeah, but George doesn't like it. And I was like, well, what is, what exactly is the problem? And I hope I'm not getting myself into trouble by telling you this, but, uh, but he said that he said that, uh, it sounded too much like it was something other than Anakin himself, Mm. that it was some, that it was some kind of external, uh, power working on him 
rather than coming from within him. And so I, we went back and forth for, I mean, there was, there was shouting and profanity involved Mm. because I, I get, I'm very committed to the work that I do. And I, um, and I really, um, I, I have a big emotional investment in the stuff that I do. And so, like I said, shouting and profanity and, and what I remember before I <clears throat> uh, slammed down the phone on them was shouting at them words to the effect of, how am I supposed to fix this? How am I, how did, how, how do, how do you expect me to fix this with three days left? What do you think I'm just going to? What go to bed and wake up in the in the middle of the night with an idea how to make this right? <laughs> and he just kept saying, "We have every confidence in your ability. Hmm. You'll find a way. We have every confidence in your ability." And he just kept saying, he kept repeating that, and I kept getting madder and madder and madder <laughs> until finally, like I said, slamming down the phone. And uh, I got uh, really, really drunk. <laughs> and walked around the property, the acreage where I was living at the time, up and down our, my uh, quarter-mile-long driveway uh, for about two and a half hours. And um, went to bed, uh, woke up at 4 o'clock in the morning with a Titanic hangover and a migraine. And I, I sat up in the middle of the night, 4.30 in the morning, and said, oh. I've got it, (laughs) (laughs) which, which was the, um, which was the, the dead star metaphor, Mm. um, to focus on, on Anakin's, uh, dread of the inevitable loss of everything that he cares about. And, um, I, so at, at about six o'clock that morning, I had, written several passages of it and I wrote to Shelley and, and Howard and, and, uh, um, said, yeah, you know what I was saying last night about waking up in the middle of the night? <laughs> well, that's what happened. This is what I came up with. And they were like, and they read it and, and said, okay, go with that. <laughs> <That's great. laughs> so, so yeah, it is, this is something that a lot of people who, uh, care about that, that book, um, often talk about is that particular sort of motif mm-hmm. that runs through Anakin's uh, point of view scenes. And um, it was really, it was a Hail Mary. You know, it was, it was a desperation, last minute desperation move. But at the same time, it was, um, it made other things in the story work better in my opinion. Yes. And yeah. this is something if you'll forgive me for expanding on this a no, little please, bit more. Please. Uh, this is something that I found over and over again um when I was working on that book because uh, the the screenplay is a little light on the 
the actual psychology of the characters. You know, he's really, he's got a lot of moving parts there. And there are, you know, there's the battles and the tragedy and the politics and the everything going on. And a lot of it, when I was trying to make through lines, um, it didn't make sense to me. And I would come up with ideas and I would work with that a little bit. And I was like, nah, this just doesn't make sense. And eventually, but eventually, every time I would, something would click in my head and I would go back and say, oh, that's why he was doing that then, which makes sense that he'd be doing this now. Mm. And what it, the way it seemed to me, and I, I honestly believe this to this day, is that uh, George Lucas had actually put a lot of thought into that. It just didn't, didn't really show up in the, you know, it wasn't immediately detectable in the screenplay. Mm-hmm. But it was always there. Every time I, I figured out an answer, I discovered that he had been there ahead of me. <laughs> and it made everything, you know, it made, it made the whole chain of causality make sense when I would, uh, when I would have that sort of, um, uh, epiphany. And it's, this happened at least five or six times writing the book where, where I'm just like this, I don't, I don't understand. This doesn't make sense. I can't make it make sense. Oh, wait, no, actually it does make sense (laughs) because, you know, he said this in this scene. Oh, I get it now. Yeah, it was it was kind of a it was really a wild experience for me. Yeah, I can imagine. I, on, um, oh, go ahead, Carl. So I want to just ask about kind of the back end of you know the, at the end of the novel when we kind of get to um, you know you, as everyone who's read your book is knows what it's so famous for this is Anakin Skywalker forever. Um, and you make the point about how there never, there was never this, this dragon. It was always you. It was only you, um, you know. And so I'm curious, like, for you, the way you saw Anakin's psyche, um, this this voice that's always saying, "Even stars burn out, everything dies," right? Mm-hmm. A, a constant reminder of the um, impermanence of life. Uh, what do you think is what what would have been the solution? And I'm I'm obviously asking you a kind of a question outside the story that we get. But Anakin is so crippled by this this imaginary dragon. Um, how do how do you see like kind of the what's the elixir that Anakin is missing? Well, it actually um, it's actually the the main uh, philosophy that Yoda is stressing to Anakin in the film. Um, that it is the danger of uh, what they call attachment, um, what I would call a psychological fixation mm. on, um, you know, things. I'm I'm pushing sixty, and people I know have died, and I've, I've lost my parents, and you know all, all the rest, and you have to be able to accept the inevitability of loss. I mean, you can do everything you can to fight it, but you also, you're, 
you know, nobody as as uh, Jim Morrison so memorably said, no one here gets out alive. <laughs> and you have to find a way to deal with that uh, psychologically or you are going to be uh, emotionally crippled and your desperation to save things that in the end will not be saved might drive you to do horrible things. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that That's my opinion. It, no. Well, and also my experience. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I'll share the, the, when I, um, I, I mean, I, I remember reading the novel when it first came out in 2005, I was a, I was just finishing up my first year of college and, and loved it. And, uh, loved it more than the movie as time went on and, and no disrespect intended at the movie. Um, but what was so interesting is when I started reading it every year is at the end of my college experience, my, my college partner broke up with me. And I remember just that profound sense of loss, kind of the first time mm -hmm. profound loss was experienced in my life. Um, and I kept turning to your novel. I kept turning to this novel mm -hmm. because I think it had just such a beautiful way of dealing with, how do we how do we handle the, I like the way you put it the inevitability of loss, um, mm -hmm. and I think that what you what you created with Anakin's story in this novel is so human, and I think that's what is the highlight of this story is kind of as you said you know some of that sadly was sort of missing from the actualization of the movie itself, but the well it's it's all there, but it. In the movie, it requires a lot of what I would say imaginative investment in the audience. Mm -hmm. The kind of thing that that you have done with the book, you know, that that to to really see that in the movie, the the viewer has to be has to have their mind working at the same time and thinking, why is this happening? What you know, mm -hmm. what does this mean? What should he have done? What you know? All, all these kinds of things. And it's, it is kind of hard in the context of a, whatever it is, a 160 minute movie um, <laughs> that has explosions and sword fights and, and right. stuff like that. It's kind of hard to be contemplative in that way. Right. But I would argue that, <clears throat> that a lot of that is, a lot of that is there. It's there. If you, if you look for it, it's there if you yeah. invest yourself yeah. in it. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I've always, I think what I've always loved is even in episode three, the tragedy of Anakin Skywalker's turn to Vader is that it is very human. Um, mm -hmm. It wasn't mm -hmm. anything more grandiose than being in love and being afraid of losing what you love. Um, right. I think and, is, and, and fighting. Yeah. Fighting with everything you have mm -hmm. to save what you love. Mm. I, I have written other books on this subject, non, mm. non Star Wars stuff. And, my heroes often end up doing horrible things <laughs> because they're, you know, I, I am often interested in writing about people who don't really have boundaries that they won't cross. Hmm. And that's Anakin. Yeah. I, I was trying in, in the book. I, I, I was trying to uh, directly contrast Obi-Wan and Anakin hmm. that, that, uh, I mean, Obi-Wan has his own attachment issues. Mm -hmm. I mean, part of the reasons, part of the reason, in my opinion, things go bad in, for the Republic and for the Jedi is because Obi-Wan 
is too invested in his friendship with Anakin. Mm-hmm. You know, cares too much, tries too hard, so he doesn't stop him in time. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. 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 Um, this actually uh, leads really nicely into one of our listener submitted questions. This is from uh, Jim, and he was. Uh, um, asking about the, you know, the the tragedy of the the fall and how it, it progressively gets worse for Anakin throughout the novel. He says it's very the novel's very dis, uh, specific in describing how much of a toll Anakin's anxiety has on him, uh, such as being unable to sleep, unable to think clearly, or simply too tired to stand up at times. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he asks, uh, "What was your inspiration to take this approach?" And do you think this anxiety compromised Anakin's mental acuity and was contributor to his fall to the dark side? Uh, well, first, yes. <laughs> um, I, uh, uh, I fell ill back in the 90s. Uh, and I have some chronic medical conditions that continue to this day. And uh, one of the things I will tell you is that when you're in pain and exhausted, it's really, really hard to focus on doing the right thing mm-hmm. instead of doing the easy thing. Mm. Because everything is so hard when you are that tired. Um, everything is a struggle. And so you're constantly just doing what is going to get you through the next hour or the next day and not really thinking about um, not really concerning yourself. No, I I shouldn't say you don't concern yourself. I'd say it's, it's difficult. It is, it requires a huge uh, kind of mental effort to concern yourself with broader issues, things that are not related to just surviving the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, That's, I mean, oh, do you feel like that, that, that experience obviously that you have lived through and continue to live with, do you bring that into your writing? Do you feel like that is a, kind of a, a oh, self-reflective yeah. element? Yeah. 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 There, there, there's a reason why uh, the other, the other series that I'm, known for is my acts of Cain. And there's a reason why he's a cripple. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Wow. That makes sense. something you yeah. can, can, uh, you know, empathize yeah. with. I, well, right. I mean, you know, when, when I write about, when yeah. I write about anything, cause I, I am a fantasy writer after all, yeah. it is always, um, uh, much more dramatic than, mm-hmm anything that's ever happened to me in real life. Right. Um, right. My, my, uh, my issues are not remotely as severe as Anakin's or, or Kane's. Uh, but, uh, but they were severe enough that, that it felt honest to me to, um, to have that be part of their lives. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Excellent. Um, I, I wanted to ask you, uh, I wanted to get your perspective on, on something specific, uh, 
to Revenge of the Sith, the story. Um, and and it's it's the fight between Mace Windu and the Chancellor when they mm-hmm. finally come to blows. Um, the first the first thing I'll say so before reading Shatterpoint, I've never been a Mace Windu fan. I've always found his character very arrogant, um, and mm-hmm. and part of the reason Anakin always feels ostracized. Um, but Shatterpoint gave me such a deep appreciation, and I dare I say it, love for Mace Windu. Um, and 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 you allude to the fact in Revenge of the Sith that. Mace Windu does have an attachment and it's to the Republic because the Republic right. represents civilization. It's the only thing that stands in the, in the face of the darkness in the jungle. Right. I'm just curious, how, how do you, what is your concept of the jungle? And I thinking of that in both Shatterpoint and then bringing that into the, to the, how it kind of molds itself into the darkness that Palpatine represents in, in the revenge of the Sith is what is the jungle? Well, uh, there is the, the, what is the jungle is one of the main themes of Shatterpoint, mm-hmm. and there is even uh, uh, a chapter in Shatterpoint that is called Jungle Rules, because uh, uh, Nick um, says says you don't get it. There are no rules in the jungle, and and Mace says, of course there are. One of the first rules of the jungle is when big dogs are walking, little dogs get out of the way. Hmm. Which is to say, it's all about power. Hmm. The The jungle, um, for me, the reason Harun Kal is a jungle planet is because the jungle kind of is the dark side. The jungle is where power is everything, and um, all other considerations are secondary. Wow! Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. I, I, yeah, I I, like- and the way you wrote the, the 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 showdown between these two characters when we get to it, uh, it I, I I've read that scene several times before the, my most recent reread, but my appreciation of it just skyrocketed because of Shatterpoint and what Mace goes through in that story and how Palpatine represents so much more than just an individual politician at this point. Yes, absolutely. But also, you know, part of the reason Mace is as he is in Revenge of the Sith was because I wrote Shatterpoint. It was in fact Shatterpoint that convinced them to give me a shot at uh, Revenge of the Sith because they felt that, that I understood the dark side. Okay. Um, that was, that's what they told me that, that I, that I had a, that I had a certain touch for uh, moving through that, that uh, the darkness um, inherent in the, the whole star Wars uh, meta metaphysics. Mm. Um, also, I got a little attached to Mace. <laughs> I, just, I just like the dude. Really like him a lot. And uh, so, so uh, I may have given him a little bit more emphasis in the book than than he gets in the film. Um, but you know, he is a he, he's a big deal. He's an he's a very important character in Star Wars canon. Not not because of. Shatterpoint, but 
you know, the way you see him in uh, in the Clone Wars cartoons and mm-hmm. and uh, stuff like that, and and of course Attack of the Clones and and Revenge of the Sith. Um, I I love the guy. <laughs> yeah, well, it's pretty apparent in Shatterpoint. The the, uh, I, the just real quick, not to, just to dive into the one of my favorite elements of Shatterpoint was how um, mythical the story felt. How 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 culturally um, uh, rich Harn Call was because of the way you chose to wrote it to write it. Um, and I'm blanking on the shaman character's name. Um, kind of, he's kind of the aggressor. Um, oh, um, Car Vastor. Yes, yes, and he also appears in Shadow Luke and the Shadows of Mindor. Um, right, there's a reason for that. I can, I'll get to that later. Okay. <laughs> But I just I, I I felt like uh, one of the things I've always loved about Star Wars is when we get those kind of uh, you know indigenous cultures and we really kind of feel like they're they're explained. I mean I felt like the Ewoks get a little bit of that, the Gungans get that in Episode One, and Horn Call like you really did a wonderfully rich job of explaining the cultures there and and how they interact with one another. Um, w- was there Thank anything you. that kind of like did did you use references for how to to create that cultural, um, you know, richness, or was that just more well, of, I mean, and I'm sure this is something you do regularly in your other fantasy novels. I'd imagine it is, but. it is, it is basically a function of world building, hmm. uh, you know, um, cultural, that, that kind of stuff is, mm, I would say 90% of world building because the, the sort of, uh, internal assumptions that characters bring to the way they interact with each other and reality is it, it is, that is, that's culture. That's what culture is. And uh, so, yeah, it's a big part of world building. The main, my main um, uh, inspiration for um, the culture of Harun Kahl is actually from uh, the comics um, I think it's, I think it was John Ostrander who wrote, and I, and I, if, if memory serves now, again, this is, this is now we're going back 20 years, uh, if memory serves, it was uh, an episode of this, of the, uh, Marvel star Wars comics called Emissaries to Malastare mm-hmm. that, uh, I think that, I, I think that was the one it's one of, it was one of Mace's first, um, uh, appearances in Star Wars expand in the in the expanded universe, yeah. and um, they end up fighting in an arena against mutated act dogs. Yes, which John Ostrander um, to give him to give him his due um, uh, has Mace telling whoever he's there with. It might even be Deppa. I don't remember. Um, whoever he's there with, he's telling them that, that on his planet, these act dogs are, you know, faithful guardians of their grasser herds. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I believe that he also mentions the, what I use in the book as the four pillars of, of, uh, society. He doesn't call it Coronai, but of, you know, Mesa's society. He says something about the, the, the four pillars and, it was just kind of riffing on that that uh, sort of pulled that whole thing together for me. 
As you might guess, I'm a little bit of a fan of John Ostrander. He used <laughs> back back in the '80s when I was collecting comics. He he wrote a series called Grimjack that just completely rocked. <laughs> it's really really awesome. <laughs> okay, so that that was going to be my question: Is did you um, in in writing not only Shatterpoint but Revenge of the Sith? Um, how much of the ex- other expanded universe did you uh, already know, um, and were you provided oh, things that? Okay, okay. <laughs> so, so you were already a fan of it then. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, well, I, I read I read a ton of expanded universe just getting ready to write Traitor. Mm. Okay. And, but I was already sort of a fan. I mean, I had already read um, all the Brian Daly books, mm-hmm. and I had read. Uh, you know, Splinter of the Mind's Eye and the original novel. And I had read, what else? I'm not sure I had, I had read um, Zahn yet. Hmm. Um, his, Thrawn, his Thrawn books. I'm not sure that I had read those yet. But I read, I read a lot um, even before I got, I got signed up for this. And uh, as soon as I was realized I was going to be part of a what was originally planned to be a 22 book series um i sort of figured that i should know what i'm talking about when i get to my part of the story so i've, I've read a lot Fair enough. Yeah. um uh, the, the lando books too uh, yeah the so actually that that, may, that reminds me of, of of a point i wanted to ask you about is towards the end of the revenge of the sith novel we get that great scene of qui-gon and yoda conversing which was originally planned to be in the movie and um it got cut yes um i believe so yeah the the dialogue that you created there i think is 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 really profound um about how you know the sith can never achieve essentially immortality because it comes from release of self and and love being the answer to the darkness that line has always stuck out to me just because I find it quite beautiful. Love is the answer to the darkness. And I, I'm just curious if you realize that it is very similar to uh, James Kahn's Revenge of the Sith novel. No, excuse me. Return of the Jedi novel from 1983 when Luke throws his lightsaber away. In that novel, we're told that Luke understands finally that the Emperor is not his enemy, that war itself is a tool of the dark side. And he, the only way to defeat it is to renounce the is to renounce the dark. And I was just curious if you knew that you were doing that in the Revenge of the Sith novel too. Is kind of kind of reiterating that point. You know, I am not sure that I read the only. I think the only novelization from the original trilogy I read was uh, the one that Foster Ghost wrote. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't think so. Um, I don't know. It may just be that that is um, that is the uh, an acknowledged uh, metaphysical principle of Star Wars. Mm-hmm. You know that 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 was just kind of floating around in the ether uh, for me. It it may also have something to do with the. Uh, the relationship between the force and the the um, the Chinese philosophical principle of the Tao mm-hmm. um, is they the um, Lao Tzu in the Tao Te Ching talks about um, 
respect and love and and letting things be what they are instead of trying to make them into what you want them to be. Um, and it struck me that trying to make something into what you want it to be or someone into who you want them to be is kind of, it's kind of what the dark side is. Mm. Yeah. You know, it's to yeah. impose your will. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that, that, that's what it's for. That's, that was a great illustration you gave in the book to, um, of describing the difference between how a Jedi uses the force or communes with the force and a Sith commands the force. And I love that. And there's something we can possibly even ask you about the, the, the confrontation with Count Dooku in the revenge of the Sith novel is very, very heavy. It's, it's, it mm-hmm. takes up a good first chunk of the novel. And right. as opposed to, you know, obviously the movie it's, it's maybe 10, 20 minutes. Um, right. But I when, will point out that in the, the, the shooting script that I was working from that opening battle around Coruscant, a third of the script. <laughs> I believe it. It's like a 150 page script. And like the first 40 or 50 pages is that battle. Wow. I, yeah. There yeah. was so much cut out. I, I know on the deleted scenes, there was just so much from that whole yeah. experience. There's, that was there's a lot of stuff. There's, you know, like Shakti invading the, the ship and mm. being executed by Grievous. And there's, there's a whole, there was a lot of stuff. Yeah. in there it's i mean they published the script you can read it yeah yeah um but uh uh so that was that was part of the reason why i chose to instead of opening before that i chose to open with that and then try and uh kind of interleave the context um of of everything rather than mm-hmm. presenting the context separately i just tried to um show the battle and then bring in these these elements of the backstory and and people's history with each other and stuff like that um as they became pertinent in the course of this what was again in the script a really extended action scene yeah now so i'm sorry what, what yeah. now i've forgotten your no that's like, fine i supposed to answer it <laughs> I, why? I mean, why was it so important to you to really give such heft to Count Dooku? I, I feel like you really fleshed him out. You even we get into his head and think about you know we we hear all the machinations mm. he's assuming are going to come out of this conflict, and you also give a really commanding performance to the camaraderie of Anakin and Obi Wan in that fight and how mm. powerful they are together. Um, why was that so important to you to really give that some some weight right at the stop, top of the novel? Well, there are two reasons. Um, one is uh, Count Dooku uh, gives me gave me an opportunity to uh, look at what I thought of as the psychology of someone who is committed to the dark side, mm. because I had decided early on that I was not going to go into uh, Sidious's uh, psychology that I was I was going to, I was going to make the reader see him almost entirely from the outside, Hmm. just in terms of what he does, what he says the same way, the same way that the other characters have to deal with him Mm -hmm. because Kind of his whole thing 
is that that depth of mystery. Yes. Right? But since I wasn't going to, I didn't want to humanize Sidious in any way. Um, I thought I could show the human side, the human face of the dark side with Dooku. Mm. And as far as the, uh, the teamwork, the interaction of, of Anakin and Obi-Wan, it's, it, I, I started that in the prologue because, and for really just this, the simplest and most obvious reason because when they end up trying to kill each other, it has to break your heart. Mm-hmm. It has to just it has to just stab you. You know, you can't you can't see it on the picture. It has to stab you right in the heart. Yeah. And the way you the way as a storyteller you make that happen is you emphasize the love that was there before. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I um I had a, a question uh, about Palpatine. I, I I do find it very interesting that now going back and remembering through the book because I uh, um, as I read it for this um, discussion uh, that yeah we didn't really ever get into Palpatine. You don't get into his head. You do get one scene from more or less his point of view mm-hmm. when he's recovering his lightsaber, but I think yeah. that's as close as you ever come. Yeah. Um, the the whole middle section of the book, the seduction section, um, is just full of of these these very manipulative machinations from Palpatine that we see Anakin's mind being, you know, molded and mm-hmm. shifted and and sort of directed to look this way and that way at certain times to avoid things or to see things that aren't actually there. And it's just full of these these skeezy, disgusting things that uh, that Sidious does to him, um, and really made me absolutely loathe the character uh, much more than I did with just the movie. And and I'm a you know I'm well a fan. when you see how when you see how dangerous he really is. Yes. Um, and so I was just curious. Uh, did you end up hating the character more after you wrote all of that than you did before? No, you the book? I, I, I loved it. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Everybody loves a good villain. Oh yeah, and and Palpatine is one of the great villains. Mm-hmm. Um, there was there was one thing. Uh, there was one thing that that Mr. Lucas cut out that I have always been a little bit sad. Um, In that the the long conversation that Palpatine and Anakin have in Palpatine's office, where he is, where Palpatine is saying, is saying, uh, "What do you want? Mm. Just tell me what you want. You want a star destroyer? It's yours. You want a fleet? You, you, so what about Corellia? You want the planet or the whole system? Yeah, <laughs> I will give you anything." And um, and I had Anakin say something like, "Like you're just you're just doing you're just saying this to trick me. You're doing this to trick me." And I had Palpatine say, "Say trick you, Anakin. I love you. I I am doing this because I love you." And which I thought 
would be very powerful for Anakin because love is really what he's all, all about. Yeah. You know, that losing his mother uh, triggers his first massacre, you know, um, fearing that he's losing Padme. It's, it's not just he fears that she will die. It's he fears he's losing her love that mm-hmm. really kicks him over the edge. And uh, I thought to have that be Palpatine's big lie, his big lie to Anakin was, no, 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 you don't understand. They're trying to use you. I love you. Wow. You know, we're just, just inverting the whole, yeah. the whole reality of the situation. But Mr. Lucas was of the opinion. I, again, I didn't get this from him, but, but, uh, I was told that he was of the opinion that that's just something that Palpatine would not say. Mm. And I'm like, yeah, it's your character. Yeah. 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 Right. I can, I can see where that, that note would come from because there's just nothing in Palpatine that resembles right. love whatsoever. Right. But right. Right. I do understand. And it, it, my it is, lie would be there too. I, and I have to say that in, in support of the final decision to cut that part out, I have to say that, it is plausible that someone with what we know of Palpatine's psychology, that that wouldn't even occur to him. Mm. True. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, you know, I, I, I don't think, I don't think it damaged the book. It was just, I thought it was, I thought it was a nice touch. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, um, it it came out fine. Yes. Yes. That that yeah. that section that you know you're just talking about where he's offering Anakin anything because you know I I want to give you what you want. The way you write Palpatine in those scenes because he is so without without even giving us his psyche he does appear to be a very kind uncle or father figure. Yeah, I'm curious if any of the way you chose to kind of show that dynamic between Palpatine and, and Anakin was in any way influenced by, you know, I mean, this book was, I imagine you were writing in 2004. Um, this mm-hmm. was when kind of the big like scandal in the Catholic church was happening where we learned about all of these terrible mm. things about these terrible people who were supposed to be people you could right. trust betraying your trust. I'm just curious if that like predatory behavior was in your mind as you were writing what Palpatine was doing to Anakin. Um, I would love to say yes, because that's an awesome insight. <laughs> but uh, no, I was I was just working from the script. Okay, okay. You know, it, it, I was I was looking not just and not just the script of Revenge of the Sith, but I was also looking at the stories of uh, of uh, Phantom Menace and, and Attack of the Clones, and you know, looking at uh, Palpatine's behavior and the way he seems to construct his his plans. Mm. Um, and that's, that's where that came from. That it was, I was not thinking about, um, abusive trust issues. Mm. Um, wish I was, but again, that might've been, uh, that might've been layering a little bit too much of my own, um, personal, uh, likes and dislikes mm. on top of, on top of Mr. Lucas's story. Sure. That makes you know, you do sense. have, when you're, when you're doing work for hire, um, you have a responsibility to, uh, to the original creator's vision. Mm-hmm. 
You know, that's that's what it's really about. You're 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 you are there to make something uh, new and exciting and uh, compelling out of work that they have done for you already. You know, just finding a, finding a way to tell their tell their story um, in an exciting way, mm-hmm. and not not tell mine. Yeah, sure. fair enough. Um, um, I did have a another question from our listener Jim about Palpatine uh, before we we move away from from him. Um, Jim says, uh, Palpatine's ultimate goal is certainly complete control and power of the galaxy. But based on the descriptive nature of the writing, I almost thought part of Palpatine's motivations was also that he simply enjoys manipulating others and watching them struggle to keep up with his moves. Is this part of his motivations? I can't really say. Okay. Um, I, I honestly can't because – as as I said before, I didn't get into his motivations. I focused on his actions. Mm-hmm. And if if I had, I suppose that if I had uh, chosen to work from inside Palpatine's head the way I did, like with Dooku, um, that might have been an element. But I can't really say. That's that's kind of a that's kind of a. Uh, what historians call a counterfactual assumption. It, I, I just, I can't say, I don't know. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, boy, I, so I wanted to, I wanted to just get your take on this. Um, after both, you know, seeing revenge of the Sith and, and reading your novel, I still don't feel like anyone's, I don't feel like this answer has been thoroughly discussed and maybe I'm curious what your take is when Mace does fight Palpatine, in the movie, right, he, he seems to best him, you know, has him at lightsaber point. Same thing mm-hmm. kind of happens in the book. Um, almost seems, you know, that by Mace going into his fighting form of Vapod or Vapid, I'm not sure how you pronounce it. Um, I believe it's Vapod. Okay. And I think, that, I think that's actually John Ostrander as well. Wow. I, I, got, that from, so cool. I got that from the comics. And it, okay. I, think, I think that was Ostrander's, uh, his formulation. But I, I can't say for sure again 20 years ago. Right. Um, but I'm just curious, in your estimation, did, did Mace win that fight or was Palpatine just toying until Anakin got there? What do you, I'm just curious what you think. Um, yeah, I don't think Mace won. I, I, uh, I've never thought that either. Uh, I, I, I can't say for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I do. I think we do see Mace realize that uh, at some point that the the shatter point of the situation is is Anakin, mm-hmm. not Palpatine. Mm-hmm. And I think I, I'm pretty sure in the book, and I think in the movie, um, it is uh, Anakin's arrival that distracts Mace at the crucial moment and gives Palpatine the chance to strike back. Mm. Um, but again, I don't, I don't really recall. Mm. Yeah. Uh, but it, it is certainly plausible that Palpatine was, was waiting because he wanted Anakin 
to see the senior member of the Jedi Council there uh, apparently attempting to assassinate the head of state. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It, it definitely seems that way to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, just based on, on watching the movie and reading the book, you know, I've, I've never thought that if Palpatine is able to take out three Jedi masters in less than five seconds, right. Um, <laughs> what's this? Why is Mace different? You know, yeah. well, Mace, Mace, Mace is, popularly considered to be the the greatest uh lightsaber artist of his generation mm, true um although he thinks as i mentioned in the book he thinks that obi-wan might be better yeah yeah <laughs> i i like that uh, yeah. i definitely enjoyed that sort of you know discussion and and delving mm. into why Obi-Wan is the only choice really to fight Grievous because the pod is to uh, counter Mace's weakness. Right. Taru is to counter Yoda's weakness with his size and stature. Mm -hmm. Whereas Obi-Wan is just the master of, of his chosen form uh, and therefore has given him no weakness. It's just the complete, it is the form Mm -hmm. in its entirety. And let me say one thing on that subject as well. I studied and taught martial arts for mm, 25 years, I would guess, before my my health necessitated my retirement. Um, I studied uh, at a school that that believed in uh, in the uh, Bruce Lee's uh, Jeet Kune Do concept um so all of that stuff about lightsaber styles yeah i don't believe in that Hmm. that but it is but it was part of the established canon Mm -hmm. um and in fact on the in the uh the uh cd database that they gave me that um uh, it's, it's basically you type in, uh, weapon, ship, planet, um, species or character, and it gives you a list of every work they have ever appeared in so that you know where to look to do your background research on that particular thing. Mm -hmm. And it had a whole thing on, on the lightsaber styles. Uh, what they were called and what they did. And I don't know, I don't know who came up with this and, you know, I was like, fine, fine. That's that, that is in my experience, that's not how real combat actually works, but it's part of the story. So let me run with it and see if we can do something fun Mm. with this concept. Mm Mm-hmm. Which is which? It, it's kind of the reason I I leaned on that so heavily in uh, the fight with Count Dooku mm-hmm. is just to emphasize the, uh, the sort of uh, intellectual strategy that uh, that Anakin and Obi Wan employ to take out this guy who beat the crap out of them the last time they fought. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, well, 
speaking of Obi-Wan, I, I want to ask you um, our last question we have from one of our listeners, um, a friend of the show, Sartaj. He, he asks, um, he, uh, you said in an interview with Expanded Books that Obi-Wan is your favorite character and the reason you saw Star Wars in the first place. My question is, what about the prequel era version of Kenobi added to your appreciation for the character? Oh, that's a good one. Um, I, I think one of the things um, that you see in McGregor's version of Obi-Wan is that he is a great deal more uh, human than Alec Guinness. You know, Alec Guinness, Alec Guinness knew what his job was. His job was to, to be the wise mentor. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, you know, it's, just, it's straight out of Joseph Campbell. Um, he's the helper figure mm-hmm. that, that sets uh, the, the hero on his path. Um, I think that uh, McGregor took that, instead of playing a wise mentor, and again, you've gotta, you have to give a lot of this credit to, to George Lucas as well, you see him uh, starting out overconfident, arrogant, occasionally, and he's occasionally indecisive. He can be a little judgmental, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, stuff like that. But you also see him grow into, um, you know, by, by Revenge of the Sith, grow into the only person who could have stood up against Anakin. Mm-hmm. There's, There's... In my opinion, and I think I think it's I don't think there would be many people who would argue with me, um, uh, at least not people whose opinions I respect. <laughs> uh, um, there's Obi Wan's the only person who could have beaten Anakin. Yeah, that that was it. Yeah, I I agree. I've never you thought know. of that. That's so cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you and you see him. You, you see him by by the end um, uh, you can see where the Alec Guinness version of that character is coming from yes and that's, that's a that's a terrific performance he's a he's a fine actor yes. yeah yes he is and it looks like we're gonna get him back again in not too distant I know. I'm very excited about that <laughs> so um, gosh. well Earlier, you mentioned that um, you know part of Anakin's Anakin's fear is not just losing Padme physically, but also losing her love. And something that you introduce in the book, and I'm curious if this was in uh, the 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 shooting script that you had had as, as um, you know to reference. There's a point where Palpatine tries to insinuate that there might be something going on between Obi Wan and Padme, right? He by dropping mm-hmm. the hint of oh I I hear that Obi Wan was leaving at a you know uncouth hour this morning from her apartments and right. was that something that you created yourself or was that a story beat that um, George Lucas had created uh, and and why did you find it important to put it in the book? I think that I put that 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 I put that in because of. Anakin's reaction when Obi-Wan comes out of Padme's ship mm-hmm. yes. is his, his instant assumption 
that Obi-Wan is there because Padme betrayed him. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, I thought it made sense that, um, that that reaction um, was something that had been seeded into him uh, by insinuations from, from Palpatine. And there was also I the same thing. I think. Now, again, many years ago, uh, right. that may be in the script. I, have, I actually have the script here in my office somewhere. I could look it up, but it's not really worth the time. <laughs> <laughs> right. There is also the scene in the movie where you know he's visiting Padme and he asks if Obi Wan had been there, and she goes, "Yeah, he stopped by this morning." So you know that's that's right. in the movie. So mm-hmm. uh, it's, that all tracks very nicely, whether you know you originated it or it was in the script or not. It all tracks very nicely and comes to that very you know explosive conclusion point. So I will tell you that. My personal favorite uh, piece of of writing in that that I perpetrated in Revenge of the Sith is in that scene where Obi Wan visits Padme, and as he's leaving, um, she, you know, because she that's where she fesses up to Obi Wan that they're in love and they're married and she's pregnant and and all the rest. And, uh, and she, she's like, you can't do anything to him. I love him. And, and Obi-Wan is like, I understand I have to go now. And she says, and you love him too. You do, don't you? And I think the line is, uh, she it's just something about, he just stood there for a moment and, and appeared very alone. Mm-hmm. And he says, please do what you can for him and leaves. And that, that was my favorite because <laughs> that writing that, that, that just, that was, that was a, a knife in my own personal heart. Mm. Uh, because that, that's kind of the moment where to me, Obi-Wan is losing hope. Yeah. 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 And where he realizes that, that he's going to have to let Anakin go yeah. uh, and, and how painful that's going to be for him. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's very good. And, and he clearly, and she's clearly right. Oh yeah. I mean, they, they clearly love each other, but he can't say it because no. you know, he's a Jedi. Yes, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Um, I, Do you have, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead, Carl. Oh, okay. Um, the um, there's uh, there's a a great little scene that you put in kind of earlier on in the book, um, that is never mentioned in anywhere else that I can think of, where Anakin gives Padme both three PO and then comes back to give her his his Padawan braid, right? He, it, and it's this beautiful scene you create where Anakin wants to give her something, but you know he's a Jedi, former slave, he doesn't particularly have anything. And there's this wonderful scene, though, where he goes to her after he's been knighted and he hands her, her his braid. Um, mm-hmm. Was that a scene you created? I think so. But again, I don't remember for sure. Okay. I'm pretty sure I, the the whole idea of the uh, the droid exchange 
was intended to evoke wedding rings, mm-hmm. right? He, he gives her the droid he created, C-3PO. She gives him the droid who has been her faithful retainer of her royal house, uh, R2-D2, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> um, the uh, business with the braid, hmm. You know, I don't, I, I honestly, I don't remember if that was from the script or if there was, that may have, there may have been something in one of Jim Lucino's novels about that. I may have stolen that, that idea from somewhere. Okay. That's, that's all I can really say. I don't really remember. Okay. okay. Well, speaking of, of James Lucino, um, Labyrinth of Evil and Dark Lord, The Rise of Darth Vader are often lumped with Revenge of the Sith as sort of a, an unofficial trilogy. They call it the Dark Lord trilogy. Yeah. yeah. Was that uh, sort of designed from the beginning? Uh, and if not, you do reference things from uh, Labyrinth of Evil. Oh, yeah. Did you work with James on that or was that just? Uh, I did not work with him on it. Uh uh, Jim was a lot more involved in the conceptual planning of the EU from the new Jedi order on mm-hmm. uh, than I was. I mean, I don't, I don't know exactly what his position was, but I know he was, he was working as some kind of consultant was in on the story meetings and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, and I think that he, I think he's responsible for a lot of the planning. And so there may have been, an actual, there may have been an intention for his books to, to bookend mine, mm-hmm. but, uh, nobody told me. Mm, okay. <laughs> I, I was just, I was referencing Labyrinth of Evil because first of all, it's a good book. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a, it is one of the high points of the EU and, and there's a lot of stuff in there about, uh, Grievous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which I didn't know much. I didn't know much about Grievous, and so I I went and read all, all of the stuff that he appeared in. Okay, excellent. Mm. Wow. And it also that that um for me made it perfectly uh, plausible that Mace would send Obi Wan. After Grievous, instead of going himself, if I recall correctly, in Labyrinth of Evil, they fight, and Mace can't beat him. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know for sure, but I seem to recall something: eh, a fight on top of a moving train, yeah. under you know, underground uh, train, something. I don't remember exactly, but uh, but yeah, it just it made it made sense to me. Yeah. Uh, it's been a while since I've read that one, so mm-hmm. I'd have to go back and look again. Um, but yeah, sounds vaguely familiar. I know some of that was also uh, repurposed for the um, the a- animated micro series that was coming mm-hmm. out at the same time. Right, you know? the Tartakovsky. Yeah, uh, and then actually uh, the this sort of droid exchange Padawan braid thing, I think, was done in a quick montage. Uh, in the the season that came out right before Revenge of the Sith did, so I don't know if that was oh, maybe well, that, that's, that may been that may have been where I stole it from. I don't yeah. know, or they stole it from you. Who knows? So yeah, it was, <laughs> yeah those are very close to e- to each other timeline wise. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
Oh, wow. Um, I was, Oh, what I was going to ask. Oh, um, in the, in the novel, you give a very specific reason to why Anakin wants to be a master. Um, the movie never gives us a direct reason. I, to me, the, my interpretation of what is presented in the movie is why Anakin wants to be a master is I, I think feel like it's just his pride. He, he believes that he belongs on the council. He, he should be a master. Um, but in the novel, and it's not to say that that's also not an influence too in the novel, but it's very specific to by being a master, he can access the holocrons. And, and after he has that nightmare about Padme, the, his whole motivation is protecting her. Um, was that the whole business with the holocrons having access to those, to every piece of secret Jedi knowledge, as a master was that again a concept that you came up with was it one that had already been there okay um i have no idea okay again that it strikes me that at least the the basic premise of that might might come out of one of uh jim lucino's novels okay okay um but i i honestly i don't remember okay um we're just curious why you, you know, why you wanted to put it in the book, though. Then you know, because oh, it is well, really it's so cool to have it in there. Um, because, because uh, simple arrogance is not a very attractive quality, hmm. and i i wanted I wanted to focus on Anakin as a hero. Before he does the heel turn, mm. mm-hmm. and uh, so that would that would be the I, I'm that. Let me put it this way: that is what I remember of my yeah. motivation for yeah. including that piece of business was that it would underline his desperation and uh, provide a, uh, uh, a a kind of psychologically plausible. Um, reason why it was so overpoweringly important to him. Mm-hmm. But again, it may be something that I stole from somewhere else. Yeah. But that's, you know, that, you know, you, um, you know what they say is that, uh, um, all writers borrow good writers steal. <laughs> <laughs> and take something, you make it yourself. You make it your own to the point where you don't even remember where where it came from. Then, yeah, I guess you you've you've stolen that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and there was a lot going on in the expanded universe at that time too. Mm-hmm. There yep. was that was a very busy time. I recall uh, as a kid, just every week going to the library and getting a, a new book, just because at that time there was just so much coming out. So, um, I think. So, I've got. Don't have anything else. Do you have anything else, Carl? Did you? I mean, I have questions? so many I more, but I'm going to try to keep it limited, so we don't keep. Yeah, you we, got, on we got about five minutes left. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I I'm curious, just as as well. Uh, another huge attribute of what I love about the the Revenge of the Sith novel is in between, kind of those little interlude tome poems, if you will, about the dark. Um, mm. if, again, just curious about uh, you know where they came from, the importance of putting it in there. Um, and, and specifically, I want to highlight the final one. Uh, 
That's the one that everybody quotes. Yeah, yeah. I I put it in like a an Instagram story when I finished rereading it just last week, and a couple of my friends. Um, so I work in the ministry field. That's what I do for for work. And some of my friends are like, "Oh, is this a Lenten devotional?" And I was like, "No, it's from a Star Wars book." <laughs> <laughs> <Star> Wars. <laughs> so. Well, my my whole goal in uh, my whole goal, my my overarching intention in writing that book was to basically create uh, a love letter to the entire franchise. Mm. Right. And I, it was very important to me to um, try to attach to it a kind of epic quality that I, that I felt um, it had earned by being by just just by virtue of of how much it means to so many people. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was kind of I I wanted to get something that would bring in a kind of overtone of like the Iliad, mm. okay. you know, which is which is the sort of the the urtext of heroic tragedies mm-hmm. and you know it's it, the Iliad doesn't do anything like that but um, what I what I really wanted to find a way to do is uh, continually attach a sort of mythic significance to the uh, to the proceedings that's that's why the the book opens with um, this story takes place a long time ago in a galaxy very far away. It's already over. Nothing can be done to change it. Mm-hmm. And then there's that, you know, it's, yeah. and, and there's a little description there saying, this is what this story is going to be about. It's just, it's like somebody sitting down to tell uh, uh, an epic. Yeah. It's like the the head of the chorus in the Greek tragic plays. That, that's exactly well, you know. And I, I'm telling you, what's my training? Happens. My university training is in a, is as an actor, a classically trained stage actor. I did a lot of Greek theater, studied a lot of Greek theater, mm-hmm. um, and yes, that w- that was definitely uh, in my mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that sort of uh, Greek chorus mm-hmm. uh, thing. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's, that's even that's even why you get the yeah. the sort of internal um you know that this is this is how it feels to be whoever mm-hmm. right now yeah those are shakespearean soliloquies mm-hmm. okay. basically that's that's what that's what shakespeare used the soliloquies for is for characters to stop the action turn to the audience and say this is what's going inside going on inside my head and my heart right now yeah wow. yeah uh, that's, that's, that's so definitely cool. something I can, I can see. I'm, I'm also trained, uh, as a, as an actor. So, uh, in theater. Um, so that's, no kidding. I, I, yeah, I've been, uh, I've been Tiresias and Oedipus Rex and, you know, oh, so okay. Greek, yeah, the Greek <laughs> never got to do Oedipus. <laughs> I, no, I didn't do Oedipus. I was the blind prophet. So You're that right, was right. I mean, I was never in that play. That's what yeah. I'm saying. Yeah, no, but that was, that was a lot of fun. Um, so that, that was definitely something that, that came to my mind. Mm-hmm. Going, oh, that's familiar. 
um, you know, uh, just from my experience. So I'm very pleased to see that kind of stuff in here. And and Star Wars in and of itself is such a a fairy it's, tale it's, and mythology. And the prequels, mythology. Right. yeah, prequels in particular are a a tragedy, and they do draw so much from the likes of Shakespeare and the Greek tragic plays. Mm-hmm. So, um, anyway, so I'm very glad to see that make its way from the inspiration for the films to actually a a device in the book itself. So, well, work for me anyway. <laughs> he seemed to like it. Yes. Um. Well, I'm going to ask one final question. I promise this will be it. And and uh, just kind of to to maybe bookend the conversation with the reality that I love that last moment where Qui-Gon kind of teaches to Yoda the importance of love. And that's, I mean, the final line of your book is love can ignite the stars. Mm-hmm. I'm curious how you understand the relationship between love, the force and the Jedi. Um, and maybe that's, if that's too broad a question, I apologize. I'll maybe try to quantify a bit well, better here, but well, if if you want to if you want to go back to uh, my early training, um, in uh, Greek uh, the Greek culture in the Greek language, there are several words for love. Mm-hmm. Uh, the two most important ones are eros, which you know is mm-hmm. god of you know Cupid, as the Romans call him. Uh, eros, which is the love that uh, Anakin has for Padme. It's, it, it is romantic, sexual love. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's in, for Greeks, again, because they were a little bit more open than you know, our cultures today, uh, it, there's, there's erotic love between men and between women as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, one could even say that, that, uh, that Anakin and Obi-Wan that's that there is a in the in the classical sense an erotic element in their relationship because they are they are uh, uh, bound to each other as individuals mm. and the other Greek word for love if if I'm remembering this correctly uh, is agape mm-hmm. which is which is the love it's the love that that uh, Lao Tzu talks about in in uh, Tao Te Ching. It's the it is the love for humanity, love for the world. It is open heartedness. Um, erotic love, eros, is is often often involves closing off, hmm. right? Because you're you it is restricted to the object of your love. Uh, agape is open hearted. It is an, it is the open heartedness of arguably, um, you, you know, the mature Obi-Wan Kenobi. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, that, that, uh, in that sense, I'm, you know, I'm, and I'm not positive that I'm actually using these words in the, in the proper sense. I'm sure that there will be fans who know more about it than I do. But, um, in that sense, that 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 sense of love as agape defines what Jedi really are, and it defines why they do what they do. You know, because they are in service of all living things, and they're trying to make sure that that everyone 
comes out okay, mm-hmm. right? And instead of focusing on one person or one thing, which they kind of frown on for obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's, wow. Thank that's you. terrific. Yeah. Yeah. That is terrific. Um, my goodness. Thank you so much for it's been for, my pleasure. This has been an interesting conversation. I really appreciate it. Oh, we, I, I've been, I've been dreaming of having, asking you these questions for a decade. So <laughs> <laughs> I feel like Anakin with Padme well, in episode two, you know, it's exactly as I remembered it in my dreams, but I don't want to creep you out. So <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, um, if, uh, you know, a few months or a year from now or whatever, the next, the next, you know, next April, when it's the book is 17 years old instead of 16, if you have more questions, and just give me a call. Oh, thank you so much. I will do so. We'd pleasure. love to have you back. It really is my pleasure. I'm not just saying that. <laughs> oh. Thank you. Um, but before we let you go, is there anything uh, that you've got coming up that you want to plug? Or if anybody wants to follow your works and other things outside of Star Wars, where can they do that, sir? Well, um, my Acts of Cain books are available everywhere. Okay. Uh, well, everywhere ish, you know, online. Yes. Um, the, uh, um, I have a, a couple other books that, that are media tie-ins and stuff like that. And, and my Barra books are out of print, but they should be available as eBooks, uh, in some form or another. Um, as far as anything coming up, I want to plug, no, I am working on something. I'm in the middle of a, a novel I'm writing on spec, an original, mm. um, that I am kind of excited about, but I have not shown it to anybody yet, so I don't have anything to say about it other than, yes, I am, in fact, after taking a few years off due to my illness, uh, I am working, and I hope to have something uh, off to my agent mm, this summer, early next fall. Excellent. That's awesome. Well, we will look you know, forward uh, to uh, seeing more about that down the road then. Yeah. All right. I am ashamed to say that I've not read your Kane series, so that's the first thing I'm requesting from my library oh. tonight. So. <laughs> well, you can think of, of Kane as a dark side version of Mace Windu. Ooh. All right. Yeah. Okay. And he's the hero. Oh. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> Great. All right. Um, Excellent. Well, it, it has been a distinct pleasure having you. Um, to, just I've we've we've been podca- Jason and I've been podcasting for almost a decade this year, and one thing we've talked about a lot over the many years is your Revenge of the Sith novel, and we wow. just just love it so much. So it. it it's always been like a dream to be like, oh, I'd love to have him on the show sometime, but I don't, I don't think that would ever happen. And so thank you well, for making this dream reality. Sometimes all you have to do is ask. Yeah, that's <laughs> true. <laughs> and uh, well, and, and I want to, I mean, I want to thank the folks over across the galaxy because the, the fact that they kind of broke the barrier and, and got you in to have a star Wars conversation. I was like, maybe I can just ask. And that's what I did. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but thank you so much for, for giving us some of your time this, this evening. And, um, it, what a distinct pleasure. I, I enjoyed it. And, um, and I'm absolutely serious, uh, uh, down the road again, when the mood strikes you, just ask. 
I you, you can will. count on it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you can count on it. Uh, well, Carl, before we close anything down, uh, if people want to get in contact with us about anything that we like to do on the show, where can people do that, sir? Um, we're on Twitter at Wampas Lair, uh, Facebook Wampas Lair Podcast, Instagram, the underscore Wampas Lair. And you can always email us, wampaslayerpodcast at gmail.com. And um, next week, we will be back with an episode inspired by our conversation this evening with Mr. Stover himself. We're going to be talking about Revenge of the Sith and the the, the reasons we love it more because of your book. So yeah. this conversation is not done. So nope. we will continue next close. week. <laughs> yeah. Well, once again... Uh, Matthew Silver, thank you so much for coming on to the show. Thank you uh, for having me, gentlemen. I really appreciate it. Yes, and thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode of the Wampas Lair Podcast. This has been episode number 420, Revenge of the Sith Novel and Matthew Silver. For Carl, I'm Jason, and we'll see you next time here in the Wampas Lair. <laughs>